Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 94 of Thrive Deeper. It's your old pal DJ Payne here. And on this episode, I get to sit down with Matthew Jacoby and we finish off the book of Exodus. Yeah, we're going to say goodbye to Moses, Aaron, Joshua and the Israelites for a little while as we finish off the last 10 chapters or so of this fantastic book. It's a little bit bittersweet when we finish off one particular edition of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide and we move on to a new one. But that is the process we're in at the moment. Plus, at the beginning of this episode, we're going to answer some of your questions that come in via the Facebook group and via the website. So we'll let you know how to do that as well. We've got a lot happening at the moment and I'm so excited that you can be with us as we finish off the book of Exodus on this edition of Thrive Deeper. You've given me a new pair of headphones. I have. How are you handling it's my them? gift. That's okay. I, I feel a little bit too close to myself. Do I need to turn you down a little bit in <laughs> no, the headphones? That's fine. Okay, because a problem we have and I have in mixing it, and every now and then someone who is a real audio freak will listen to the podcast and say, you know, I can't hear Matt. Like Matt wanders off in that sentence. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, because he doesn't have a pair of headphones on. He refuses to wear a <laughs> pair of headphones. And when he's talking, he starts looking at the window and starts talking over here. And it's all, you know, bad stuff. So uh, yeah. I've given you a pair of headphones and making you wear them. Yeah. Well, no, I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. Um, um, it's going to take me a little while to get used to them. <laughs> listen, you, you're, a, you're a recording artist. You should be used to listening to I know. To I should. Yourself. Yeah, I should. All right. Now, listen, uh, uh, on this episode, I'm excited because we are wrapping up and it's always an exciting ep- episode when we wrap up an edition of Thrive, Perspe- uh, Thrive Perspectives, Thrive Deeper. <laughs> Wrong podcast. Wrong podcast, exactly. We wrap up an actual physical edition of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. Yeah. So we've been in the uh, in the baby blue Thrive Daily Reading Guide for the last three months. Yeah. Uh, and we've gone through the book of Exodus. We are finishing it today yeah. because- as of today, there's a brand new Th- Thrive Daily Reading Guide, uh, mm. calling it the hot bubble bu- bubblegum pink mm. magenta copy that's out there. And uh, we're going to start that in a fortnight about the book of Revelation. Yes, we are. That's exciting, isn't it? I, I for one, am very excited about the transition here. Yeah. But I'm excited and a little bit sad to be saying goodbye to Moses and the Israelites in the book of Exodus today. Mm. But we've got a lot to cover. Yeah. On this episode, but before we do that, I've got a couple of questions for you, Matt. Yeah, go ahead. And that's our new commitment because we're doing the episodes every fortnight now. We can't let these questions build up. So got a wonderful question here from Chris. Uh, good old Chris, a wonderful active member of uh, the, uh, you know, the, the Facebook pages, the Facebook groups and stuff like that. It's from a little while ago when he was reading through Exodus chapter 20 and at the end of the commandments, uh, God uh, God gives Moses some uh, guidelines about a proper use for an altar. Mm. 
that it was only made of earth and natural stone. Uh, it couldn't become a thing of beauty by itself, mm. that type of thing. It couldn't be worshipped by, the, by itself. And then someone else has jumped in and said, listen, I, I, I too thought that there was a beautiful point that God was making about the proper use of altars there at the end of chapter 20. But then when we get into the tabernacle, Holy moly, it's all like beautiful gold and this and, you know, it's the other end of the spectrum. Why mm. the big difference? Um, yeah, initially, so altars were built uh, quite frequently early on. This, so this is before the tabernacle. It takes a little while for the tabernacle construction to, happening, but yeah. to happen, but they're still using altars. Uh, the idea here is not to create something that is ornate that's going to possibly become an object of veneration but something functional. Once we get into the tabernacle, creating beautiful things because everything's set out exactly as it should be with the right dimensions. See, before the tabernacle, there's not really any uh, directives for how altars are to be built apart from this. Okay. So it's just leave it plain, make it functional. Let's not make a big deal about big ornate altars. Yep. And then we get the, uh, look, the one in the tabernacle was fairly straightforward. I think certainly the one in the temple was a bit more ornate, but yes. still with the with the sloping platform and, and yeah. so forth. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So is is part of the, my, my, when I read through this again after that question came in, I thought part, part of it popped in my head thinking about the Israelites wandering through the desert and stuff, but we had other altars. I mean, Jacob makes an altar and stuff like that, mm. and it sounds like they're just stones piled on top of each other. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Is that because they were like a nomadic people wandering around or what? But again, then my thought was if there are nomadic people wandering around, why even build an altar if you're not going to be passing that way again? Or how does yeah. that Work. Altars are a really interesting kind of thing. Um, they are a statement of worship that God did this in this place. You know, um, in at Bethel, you know, uh, Jacob set up a stone because God met him there, and mm. and it, and and at various points in various places, they will c- construct an altar and they will offer a sacrifice at that altar. This is, I guess, customary way of expressing your worship to God in an ancient Near Eastern context. So mm. it it happened in the ancient Near East and so it was a sort of worship idiom, mm. if, if you will, that gets appropriated, interestingly. But the point of this is not, it's like God saying, I'm appropriating that to some extent, but not, yeah. you know, not in the full uh, not in the full sense. I get you. I get you. Uh, is there uh, one last question? And uh, uh, you know, this just springs in my head. Then, when you when we're talking about it, is there any any appropriate? This might lead into another question we've got coming yeah. in here. My 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 uh, bridging question here. Is there any appropriate times or you know things that we should ever think about now about making an altar today? Uh no, I, I would keep it metaphorical. I mean, okay. the, you know, in, in some churches they talk about the altar as the table. Yes, on come which, to the altar. Yeah, on which the uh, communion or yep. the Lord's Supper or the Mass. The altar call, yeah. come to the, usually the front of the church. Well, yeah. yeah, well, when we use that metaphorically because traditionally in traditional churches with the traditional furniture, mm. um, Catholic, High Anglican, so forth, you would have an, an altar, they would call it an altar, yeah. because there was a sense in which the Mass was being sacrificed. There was a sense of a sacrifice being offered uh, on on that altar, and that, of course, is the sacrifice of Christ. So. Yeah. 
in in the Catholic tradition, that's the that's how that's kind of understood. So it came to be known as the altar. Okay. Whereas what was previously just a communion table, yeah, came to be called an altar. And so to to this day, we still talk about you know come to the altar as yeah. the song goes. Yeah, it's a way of referring to the front. Yeah, <laughs> uh, or, or well, the place of connection, even. Yeah, the place of worship, the okay. place of. Uh, so you know, I, I think there's a valid metaphorical use, and I think that that use is being used in the in that well-known song, uh, "Come to the Altar." It's about come to the place of connection and meeting with God. Okay, we now we we loosely mentioned this the other day. Uh, we we going in passing. This is my way of transition here. Uh, we talked about icon iconography. Yeah. We talked about art in the church, representation, even sculpture, things like mm. that. So let's bring it all together. You know, you got artists might be feeling like they want to make an altar or make an art piece. Mm. You know, they might want to make an icon or anything like that. There's all this, you know, there's a whole world of art when it comes to worship and what's acceptable, what's not, especially when it comes around to the Ten Commandments that we went through. Uh, have you got, you know, we're not going to go into yeah. it now, but there's yeah. a, you've got a lot of thoughts around yeah, that. In, look, in general, I don't think we should exclude an aesthetic dimension to worship. Now, the word aesthetic means sensory. Yeah. Uh, something that appeals to the senses. Um, I think it's valid to incorporate an aesthetic element of worship. We do that by creating a beautiful space. We do that by creating beautiful music. That that those aesthetic elements are elements of beauty because beauty is something that glorifies God, and our appreciation for beauty, I think, is part of us sharing in God's image, having those capacities to look at the world as God did and say, it is good, it is very good. Okay. So um, the appreciation of beauty, I think, is a wonderfully spiritual kind of thing. Yeah. And beauty can remind us, I think, of the goodness of God and the beauty of God. And so th- I think there is a place for beauty in, in worship. All right, let's. Uh, I'm going to treat that question. That, that, no, a lot of not, those- not by the way that all art is has to be beautiful because yeah. art is often about expression. Yeah. But um, the icons that were created and, and furniture that was a lot of effort put into mm. church architecture and furniture. The idea of that was to create something beautiful that glorified God, yeah. and I, and I, I resonate with that. And we and we see that totally in the tabernacle that we're reading yeah, here at yeah, the end of totally, Exodus. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Janet, Dawn, Chris, everybody who's got in contact with us about those questions. I think we might even I might even earmark. I'll put up into that imaginary pin board there that we've got Thrive Perspectives. Yet another topic we can put up there might be art icons, the tabernacle, let us sort of have one whole discussion around that. Yeah. So there's a, there's a heads up for you. If you've got questions about art and beauty and its place in uh, in the kingdom, in the church. You and, could in, take my course. I run a whole course at Melbourne School of Theology, oh, Faith in the oh, Arts. Getting, he's getting excited, gang. Look out, look out, watch out. He's going he's gonna to get all teacher on us. All right, let's get into it. This is it. The last episode on the book of Exodus we we, we want to we've got quite a bit to get through here but and I know Matt you've got uh, you know quite a few different things you want to talk about I just wanted to start off by saying we've sort of glided over some of the characters that we meet in the book of Exodus mm-hmm. one in particular that we meet uh, just a, you know a few chapters there in that beautiful I think at the first time we meet him is in the f- story of the fight with the is it the, the Amalekites mm. where Moses is lifting up the yeah. staff Two characters we meet in that time that we sort of have, have jumped over. One who's going to be very important, Joshua. Mm. Mm. We do. He just gets introduced kind of suddenly. Yeah, he's, he, he's, he's one of Moses' right-hand men, Joshua. <clears throat> Boom. Yeah. 
Then we also meet another character who's a little bit shady, and I'd love to get your opinion on this. Uh, is the character who's who's holding up the staff with Aaron? Yeah. is her. Her H U R. Yeah, uh, and so we've got we've got her, and her pops up a few times uh, in in you know in the, you know the Book of Exodus uh, as 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 someone who's very closely connected with Aaron and Moses yeah. and the and the seventy elders and stuff, and then you've got Joshua as well. Mm. Um, anything we want to know about those guys there? Well. Um He's. We don't actually know much uh, about him. It's. It's pretty unclear. But that's her you're talking about. First. Her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Sorry. Her. He's yeah. just a companion of uh, of Aaron and Moses. You know. We know he's a member of the tribe of Judah. Uh, his identity is. It's elaborated a little bit in um, some rabbinic commentary, but yeah, we don't really know much. Aaron, of course, is very significant. Yeah. As Moses' brother and. He's going to be the first high priest. Yeah, and I, I love I love some of that rabbinic tradition. Is that her is somehow related in there, and and some of them say that he's something to do with Miriam. He might be a husband of Miriam. Yeah. Some people say he might be the father of Caleb. Yeah. Uh, you know, with Caleb and Joseph, you know, Joshua. There, there's some. There might be some sort of family tradition. Yeah, that's right. The one thing that I found really interesting was in in one of the writings that I found from some some rabbis and some Jewish people from you know ancient writings was that they believed that that and we're going to get to this when the people rebelled when the Israelites rebelled with the golden calves one of the traditions and stories and it's totally not in the bible so this is mm. just a tradition is that her stood up to them right. and said do not do this and they killed him and that's why we don't read, ah, we don't okay, hear from yeah. him at any point after that. He sort of just disappears. I like that story. And, and that's why they say that Aaron gave in because Aaron was so fearful for his life that they killed her in front of him. Aaron's like, uh, okay, just bring all your gold and goes into the yeah. story. That was one of the, you know, a Jewish story. Okay. Now, again, this is just a story. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I like it. I don't mind, I don't mind it at all. But uh, speak to us. I mean, because we're going to see Joshua again and again and again. He's going to pop up yeah. more and more now. What's, what's well, your thoughts well, about it's, Joshua? It's really interesting how when you follow Joshua's journey through yeah. this, yeah. I've always really loved this about Exodus because Joshua is going to be the next leader. Mm. And it's interesting to see that Moses takes him up onto the mountain uh, to a certain extent, there's a certain point where uh, where Moses uh, only goes, but he takes him up to the mountain. When Moses sets up the tent of meeting, uh, Joshua goes into this tent of meeting. The tent of meeting was a tent that was placed just outside the camps before the tabernacle where Moses would go and meet with God. It was like his place of worship and, mm. and the cloud would go and the glory of the Lord would be, you know, over and in this tent. And, you know, it, it would say that Moses would talk to God in in this tent and Joshua would be there with him. And then Moses would go and Joshua would remain there in the presence of the Lord. I mean, what a, wow. what, what a, you know, what a yeah. way of preparing this young mm. man. Mm. And is it any wonder then that when they go to the edge of the promised land and everyone is freaking out, Joshua is the one that says, let's go, we can do it along yeah. with Caleb. You know, yeah, yeah. he says, we can do this. Yeah. I mean, this is a man who has bathed in the presence of God mm. And Moses could not have offered Joshua any better training yeah. than to learn this, you know, discipline of connecting with God and, and being able to uh, ex experience God in the way that he did. And so it's no wonder then that Joshua becomes the yeah. great 
leader that he does. But he, and he's also a great warrior. I mean, mm. like that's his first introduction yeah. is leading the armies of Israel that's right. into battle. And he's he's a a fierce. Yeah. Like as we get into the and again, when we you know, in the future we'll get into the book of Joshua. Yeah. I mean, he is a fierce He's a general. Yeah. He's a fierce general. Fierce a man of an, an army strategist type of thinking. And it's amazing to see that sort of ancient warring mindset in partnership, as you just said, with this incredible training under God, what yeah. can be achieved in that? It's a, yeah. He's an amazing life study, Joshua. Yeah. It's a strange aspect uh, for us of reading the Bible, yeah. a combination of of that, sp- that very contemplative spirituality and the connection with God together with war yeah. <laughs> and, and fighting. Oh, it just, just doesn't <laughs> seem to go together. But for these people, it went together. In fact- for ancient or eastern people, a god who does not defeat my enemies is just completely unintelligible to yeah, them. Yeah. So it's not surprising that that God reveals Himself in this way by uh, allowing them to defeat their enemies. That's that you know that's again the idiom that they're used to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let, let's let's move in. We got to fly. We've got to fly through these last ten chapters today of the book of Exodus. Um, Most of which, by the way, is talks about the. Setting up of the tabernacle, which yep. we alluded to last week, and we won't go into. Any I mean, that's a whole. I mean, you know, there is so much. Let me just say, if you're really interested in getting into the, uh, and I say this as a as a as a, a, a expression, not as trying to belittle anything. If you really want to get into the weeds about the tabernacle, yeah, there's lots of great books, yeah, videos, YouTube lectures, and stuff like that about dimensions, what everything meant, what everything was placed. Yeah, and everything in fact, like that. The, the best way is first of all have a look at a picture, a good diagram of the mm. tabernacle. Mm. Uh, the second thing is that there are some great YouTube virtual tours through the tabernacle yeah. as well. Yeah. So give that, a, give that a try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if we find any in particular, any, any that you yeah. approve of, Matt, I'll put well, it. Well, in, uh, in the Exodus uh, Thrive, yeah. at the back, in the back leaf, yes. we've, got, well, I've, we've provided a picture of the tabernacle. Can, can, I, can I just criticise you for a second? That is the that is a dodgy. Can we? Oh no, that's a good picture. No, of the we need to come up with a better picture, a more artistic picture. That is like really like a crude computer oh, no. MS Paint version. Oh, that's a bit rough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't produce it, so it's not. I won't take that personally. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, so where do we want to give us the first yeah, point? So, I mean, there's so, so I think points here that I'd love to get to. Yeah. But but we got to fly through. So. That's right. Well, we talked about the law quite generally, and and we you know we gave some examples and, and the, basically the giving of the law extends right up until chapter 31. Yep. So um, we come back to the story really in chapter 32. This is when Moses, he's up on the mountain and God says to him, these people uh, are rebelling against me. Now Moses has been up on the mountain for a long time, about six weeks. Wow. That's a long time. Now remember, these people – they're not used to being left to their own devices. They've been slaves, right? Yeah. You know the, the the phenomena when prisoners come out of prison and, and because they've been so institutionalized in prison, they actually cannot cope yeah. with freedom. Yeah. And and they sometimes just go wild uh, and and eventually end up back, back in prison. Yeah. And we've already seen that from the Israelites because you know straight away when things started going a little bit tough, they were like, "Man, we should just go back to Egypt." Because there was a sense of security yeah, in there. We had food in the food. institutionalized yeah, life, yeah. It, even though it was difficult, you know, bondage and so forth. Yet it was predictable, and yeah. and, and what you see here, I think, is slaves gone crazy. Yeah. Because 
the one that's leading them, and they can rem- they're used to being led. And freedom, by the way, and this is an important definition of freedom, free- freedom is not being without authority over your life. Mm. Freedom is having the right kind of authority over your life. Ooh. So um, so what is happening here is that Moses leaves and he's a, he's up on the mountain for about six weeks. That's a long time to wait when you're in the desert. Yeah, You're not used to not having a leader. Yep. And so- they start turning to Aaron. Aaron now becomes the the leader during this time. Well, Aaron is left in charge. They um, somehow pressure Aaron into making a golden calf. Now, this essentially is them going back to what they're used to. They 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 are feeling insecure. They want to uh, they they want to find they want to um, grasp something that they can grasp. And so Aaron gets all their gold off them. They yep. make this golden calf. It's yep. essentially giving them something that they're used to, something that they can get a handle on. As in they've lived in Egypt for, yeah. you know, generations uh, and they've seen, you know, golden yeah, statues and yeah, things like and, that. And look, calves are a very, um, were a very popular way of representing uh, the gods in various ways, not okay. only in Egypt but in, in Canaan and so forth. We, we you know, the use of, of calves, not necessarily to to represent a god as such, but uh, Baal, for example, was said to ride on you know on um, oxen and so forth. But here uh, they are uh, kind of representative one of the most popular of the Egyptian gods that was represented as a calf. So this again, this is something that they're used to. They're going okay. back to to what they're used to um, now. Uh, so Moses is up on the mountain. God tells him this is happening. I love Joshua's, you know, Joshua's interruption there. Isn't that yeah. the part where Joshua's like, oh, no, war. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like so the warrior <laughs> right. comes out like straight away. His first reaction is, there's fighting. You know, and Moses is like, calm down, Sonny Jim. You know, yeah. that's, not, that's not the sound of war that you hear. Yeah. This is, uh, this is the first moment where uh, we – where we find Moses in his very important intercessory role. One of the most important things that we see Moses doing throughout this text is interceding and demonstrating what intercession can actually achieve. Yep. Okay. So, um, you know, it says here in verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away and so forth. Okay. They've created this this calf. Um uh, I've seen these people, Lord said to Moses, they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Oh, boy. So, I mean, this is interesting because basically he's going to go right back or, or the the threat in a way is to go right back to Abraham. With so Moses. Moses. Yeah, so Moses is going to be the new Abraham because that's what God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. Now, Moses then performs this intermediary role. Now, priesthood is very, very important in the context of the Torah, Mm -hmm. the role of the priesthood, that there is this capacity given to human beings whereby we can mediate and instead of getting the judgment that we deserve, we can get grace that we don't deserve through the act of mediation. Okay. With reference to... uh, Well, ultimately, the ultimate mediator who is Christ Mm. and with reference to his sacrifice, and that was uh, symbolised in the temple. 
Okay. okay, but the priests functioned in the temple and performed this mediatory role. Okay, and that's what Moses and is so, doing. Yeah, here? so Moses is already kind of demonstrating the scope of that here. Now, this is not what what this is about. They did what they did, but mm. out of that comes an amazing demonstration of God's willingness to heed this intercessory prayer. Okay. Did they deserve to be destroyed? Absolutely, yeah. because God brought them out of it. Look at what he had done for mm. them, for goodness mm. sake. And now they're turning back to the gods of Egypt. And we've got to remember just a few chapters beforehand, yeah. when the law was given, they as a people said, we will keep it. Yeah, that's Everything right. Everything you've said, we will do. That's right. Yeah. A few weeks later, they yeah, made it. Yeah, that's right. That. They made a promise. Not only that, but they'd seen all the things that God had done against the gods of Egypt. Yeah. So God had proven that he had, mm. that the gods of Egypt were no gods at all and that he was the only God. Mm. And so this is, this, is a, this is a sin with a really high hand. This is really shaking the fist at God. So it's not just a matter of, ah, oh, yeah, they've, I mean, it is in one sense them going back to what they're used to. Yeah. But it's really defiant, mm. given what they've seen. Now, what what we're going to see further on in this chapter is really harsh, but we have to remember again what they've see. You know, the principle is to whom much is given, much will be required, mm. and they are accountable for what they have seen. They have seen God hold back the waters of the sea. They had seen the ten plagues in Egypt. They'd seen the Egyptian gods. You know completely invalidated in that way. And yet now they're turn, turning back to the Egyptian gods. So anyway, so this is, so do they deserve judgment? Yes. Oh, excuse me. That's my <laughs> water bottle. <laughs> the, the, okay, question Question there, as we've had, had a break from the water bottle there, my, my, a question there that I've, that I've always had in my mind, was Aaron saying when he said, you know, these are, these are the golden calves to the people, was he saying that, this is a representation of Yahweh, or was he saying that these physical golden things are the gods? It's artfully ambiguous. Wow. Okay. And I <laughs> That's think, not the answer I wanted. No, Matt. no, I know. Well, I, well, I think Aaron is actually being artfully ambiguous. Okay. Okay. Like, um, he, he, these are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, he, he's, it's plural. These are your gods. Mm. And uh, and I think he's just catering for what he's just giving them whatever they want, really. Yeah, because because the next statement, like it says, you know, Aaron saw that the people were excited that the he had made the calves, and then he says, "Tomorrow we'll build an altar to the Lord." Yeah, that's right. And I'm like, hang on, what is he? Is he having his cake and eating it yeah. too? So he is. It's not just him trying to represent God. I mean, that maybe in his mind. He's doing that, yeah. But by making a calf, yeah, he's actually appealing to gods that they already knew, we, and gods which, that are not the god that brought them out of Egypt. And he's breaking one of the ten commandments straight away. Don't have any representation. Yeah. Although, the- remember, they he hasn't heard the ten commandments yet. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah. But, but I mean, even even well, though, we- well, actually. Um, I mean, you know, I think certainly the principle may may have been there. Yeah. Uh, I, I, because, because there is some point that they, the people had already accepted what the covenant of the Lord was. Was that part of the, had they heard the Ten yeah, Commandments? Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, but remember, he only comes back with the tablets of the yes, Ten Commandments true, true, after true, true. this again. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Now, it, it may be that they were delivered here at some point. Uh, you know, it's, 
I mean, th- that maybe is even likely because Moses up and going up and down a little here. But I think in any case, the principle has been spelled out in the events. They have seen who is God and who isn't God. And they have seen that God has delivered them from those gods. So turning back to, even in an ancient Near Eastern context, to abandon your God for another God mm. is a massive no-no. It's, it's uh, you know, spiritual high treason. So in any case, going back to a very familiar Egyptian God mm. Is a real problem here. And I, I, my fa- well, my favourite line in all of this, all of this story, and there's so many amazing lines in the in these stories, uh, in this in this big narrative here about what happens around this time, is when Aaron is 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 looking at his brother, and I just can imagine two brothers talking to each mm. other, you know, two siblings. And, and Moses is going, what did you do? I left you in charge. You can hear the brotherly like, yeah. buddy, what are you doing? Yeah. And Aaron's like, mate. You know what these people are like. Yeah, he blames you know. the people. Let's well, let's let's get to that in a moment. Okay, but my favorite line is, "I they gave me the gold. I threw it in the fire, and out came this like." <laughs> I know it's the what? it's the world's <laughs> worst excuse. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. So he yeah, and I, I mean that's interesting. And I'll say, just remind me about yeah. that. But okay. I, I just want to cover off uh, Moses' intercession here. Okay, great. As I was Sorry. saying before, because I think this is a really important. Point. In verse 11, it says, Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people? You know, remember your servants. And then it says down, and he prays this prayer and it's oh, recorded there. It's amazing. And then in verse 14, it says, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Like immediately. Yeah. And and I this is like, this is, you know, remember the, the story of Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. And, you know, what if there are, you know, 40, yes, I will do it. Again, this intercessory thing is coming through really strongly in the text. It's actually a very central theme here. We're being invited into this role and we're being invited to see how powerful this role actually is, how significant it is, how much difference it can make when we intercede for someone. Like really, you know, I think this is enormously important that, you know, if you want to see someone saved, pray for them. Yeah. Because I think this demonstrates yeah. the power of intercessory prayer and it's very deliberate here in the text. Yeah. So Moses goes down to the, goes down the mountain and we know the famous story yeah. smashes the uh, the commandments because of course they've broken the commandments. Yeah. And it may be because I know that there's there is a covenant ceremony after the 10 commandments. I think is it 24 or 25 if you got it there where where he comes down uh, so, the chron- the cr- chronology of Moses yeah. and in Mount Sinai is not entirely clear. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can't really get that from the text. So it may be that they may have been told that. Yeah. But the point is that Moses goes back to the mountain. He receives them on these tablets of stone, and he yes. smashes them. Um, S- smashes and- smashes the calf, burns it up. Yeah. Puts it in the water, makes the right. people drink it. Yeah, I know that's a good one, isn't it? I, I love, I love it. I love it. It's so symbolic. Yeah, it's so symbolic. Bit of metal poisoning there, I maybe. Don't... I don't know what what's going to happen there. Yeah. Um, and then he calls Aaron to account. Now, this is really interesting. Yeah. You, and you mentioned Aaron's really poor excuse. Oh. It, it's got to be the world's worst excuse. I I threw the gold into the fire and then out jumped this calf. That's not even a good. 
It's like the world's worst lie. And you can literally see Moses rolling his eyes at that yeah. point. Yeah. Because the next line is, Moses saw that Aaron, and I'm reading in the NLT here, the New Living, had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. Yeah, exactly. So there is a public... Somehow there's a public display of, of surrounding peoples yeah. seeing these Israelites totally go to go yeah, bananas. Yes, that's right. And that's important because they're meant to be an example. They've yeah. been brought out of Egypt to be an example. Now, remember what happened in Genesis chapter 3 when the, the when Adam and Eve sinned against God? Mm. Remember what happens? God comes to Adam. What is this, what is this you've done? Yeah. Adam says, the woman that you put here with me, she made me do it. Yeah. He goes to the woman, what is this you have done? Oh, the serpent that you created, he made me do it. It's this abdication of responsibility uh, that's ha- happening here. And unfortunately, we see the same thing with Aaron. He says, Moses comes to Aaron, what is this that you have done? Oh, you know, these people that you... The, and he, he blames the people when Aaron was in charge. So, uh, you know, he's accountable. I mean, this is... This is it, itself is interesting because unlike any other ancient Near Eastern texts that glorify the lead characters, particularly characters that are the forefathers of really important dynasties, and mm. Aaron is going to be the forefather of the priestly dynasty. Totally. They, ancient Near Eastern texts tend to really glorify those people. Mm. Man, this is completely the opposite. Yeah. Because this is dealing in a different currency. Mm. This is not about here is this wonderful person that merited this position. Totally. This is God has give is giving them this ministry by grace. He's going to give Aaron a priestly ministry. And now we're very, very clear on the fact that it's going to be completely by grace <laughs> and undeserved. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um now interesting thing happens here. You know, the people are running wild. And Moses calls Moses, a lever, yeah, Levi? Moses, uh, oh. no, well, he says he stood at the entrance of the camp. So he goes outside the camp, yeah. interestingly, and he says, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. Yeah. So leave the camp and come out to me. Yeah. So he's giving them a chance. Who's, who's going to come with me yeah. and keep following the Lord? Yeah. Or who's going to stay in idolatry. And this is, remember, this is after everything that they've seen and only the Levites, that is his own family, come out with uh, with Moses. Now, presumably the Levites would have participated in what was, I mean, if Aaron certainly did, yeah. did they certainly would have. So he gives them the second chance, only the Levites respond. Mm. Then we have a very difficult uh, section um, that a lot of people balk at, and I'm going to say one or two things about this. It says in verse 27, I'll read it because of the difficulty yeah. uh, in this. It says, Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbour. The Levites did as Moses commanded. On that day, 3,000 people died. Um, now, uh, the, f- the first response to this is this is just completely shocking. Mm. Um, now, this isn't them going about randomly killing people. Mm. This is them, again, going through the camp, giving people another chance. Yes. Um, at the point of the sword this yeah. time. This is an act of judgment. Now, um, in at this point, judgment is something that is delivered at the hands of people. So, for example, 
we have physical punishments for the various sins that are listed in the law. Um, the Israelites themselves are going to inflict a kind of judgment. It's mm-hmm. a prefiguration of the great judgment on the Canaanites when yes. they go into the land. This is, in a sense, a prefiguration of the invasion of the land, of the purging of the land. It's actually a purging of idolaters from the people. It's like what what is good enough for everybody else. Yeah, we have. It, you know, judgment starts at home first. Yeah, that's right. Uh, now. And look, and I'm not taking away the shock value Mm. of this. Look, in the context of the ancient world, that's that would be a fairly normal thing if you don't if if you don't show allegiance to the king and your gods, then this is what would happen to you. So in a sense, this is speaking a language they can understand. Now all of this is going to move forwards. You know, the, you know, we're going to move forwards from this kind of thinking, but this, you know, this starts here. Yeah in a language that they can understand. But harsh, Mm, is it harsh? Well, again, let's just be reminded of what has just happened. They are held accountable for what they know. They have seen things the like of which has almost never been seen before apart from the ministry of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, You know, maybe a few events in the life of Elijah and Elisha. There are, I mean, but, but on a scale here. Yeah. Like never before. I mean, yeah. even the things that Jesus did were not quite on the scale of what happened here in yeah. in Egypt. And it, and it's one of and I'm, I mean, can I go down a side point here? Totally, something that has shaped my thinking and my yeah. worldview here from the the story of of you know the miracles of Moses, and then you mention you know some of the prophets, you know Elijah, Elisha. You know, amazing miracles happen under them, and then mm. the, the, then you know these amazing miracles happen in the in the life of Christ. Yeah. Each of these amazing, miraculous times of signs and wonders, you know, you know, through you know, pre-church type of thing, yeah. all of them didn't lead to faithfulness. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And it didn't yeah. lead. And Jesus was explicit about it. Yeah. He was yeah. incredibly explicit, like to the point where you know, if you want to see miracles, that's not what I'm about. You yeah, know, type of thing. And, and, and yet he held them accountable. Because for, they for had, that. yes. If, you know, he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they, they would, would have repented, repented long ago. Yeah. yeah. So, the, the, like, yeah, mi- miracles don't necessarily create faith. No. Um, uh, it's, it's almost that principle comes into play to those who have more will be given. You know, yeah. if you've already got faith, Yes, yeah. miracles can increase your faith, mm. but if you're on a de- if you if you're in a mode of unbelief, yeah, it'll they'll just harden. I, I, but I, I but I think I I mean my personal worldview, and we're going down. We're going to have to take a break in a sec, but we're going down a bit of a rabbit hole here. But I think it's worth mentioning because it would just it impacted me again reading through the book of Exodus that sometimes we hear today, it it really is a worldview of what we are called to today in the church, yeah. and some people think that we're called to massive signs and wonders and miraculous times and mm. things like that. And I'm not, I don't want to have a go on anybody. I don't want to be this, I don't want to be negative about it. But I think scripture, you know, the life of Christ, the early church, the words of Paul, all point to the fact that that is a hollow faith, if that makes sense. If it's a, you know, there's not, there's, like, like to get back to the original point that you made about Joshua and Moses, Joshua and Moses spent time in the presence of the Lord. Yeah. We see great faithfulness. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's what leads them to 
uh, it, it's not the signs and wonders per se. So, yeah. so it's not. Yeah, and we I see mean, that, and we see that with the apostles, and we see that with the early church. Yeah. It's spending time with the Lord, spending time in His Word, spending time. You know, the, 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 yeah. that leads to faithfulness. Yeah. And that's poignant for today because we have a taste for the sensational, oh. and we can get so fixated on that. Um, the the you know signs and wonders were even in the apostolic period and throughout the history of the church where they have happened, they've been an accompanying thing yeah. to the to the main thing, which is we're called to make disciples. Yeah, and let's face it, whenever someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it's just, it's as much of a wonder as someone being raised from the dead spiritually. I believe more it's so. A, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. So, uh, so yes, signs and wonders are happening for sure, but let's not get. Uh, fixated on the sensational as though if we had more of that kind of thing, we would automatically have more be faith. pious and, and believing. Yeah. Well, we see that. Uh, we see that that doesn't work here. So to, to finish off this, uh, this section, it is harsh, but they are held accountable for what they have seen and what they have known. Yeah. This is a sin with a very, very high hand. Yeah. The harshness actually has a purpose right here. Yeah. It's a warning. Okay, let's take a break real quick. We'll be back in just a moment here on Thrive Deeper and finish off the book of Exodus. DJ here to interrupt another episode of your favourite Thrive Podcast yet again. But I want to let you know of all the great stuff that's happening over at thrivetoday.tv. Now, number one is we have an all-new designed website about to launch. So make sure, we'll let you know when it's launched. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, on the Facebook page and in the Facebook groups. You can go join those. Also, make sure you've got a copy, a new copy of the new edition of Thrive. You can order those digitally. You can get a digital copy on your Kindle or your e-reader, even a PDF version to read on whatever you want, or you can pick up the fantastic physical copy as well. A little something that's happening that I would love you to do is follow me on social media. Yeah, I know that sounds really vain. It sounds very, uh, you know, look at me, look at me, but they've got a method to my madness. I want to follow. I want you to follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook, you can find me on on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram, anywhere you are, that's where I am as well. Is that a Bible verse? I don't know. But for me, that's about social media. Just look up DJ P-A-I-N-E, DJ Payne. DJ P-A-I-N-E. You'll find me there on all your social media. It's DJ Payne with an E on the end. And uh, you'll find me there. Now, the reason why is coming up in the next couple of weeks, maybe on uh, the 1st of June. We'll see how we go. Uh, I want to start a Bible reading program. I'm working on reading the Bible through in six months. Can it be done? Can we read the Bible through chronologically as it happened in six months? Some people say, you're mad, DJ. It's crazy. It could never happen. And I'm telling you, it's just so crazy. It just might work. So if you want to know more about that, I'll let you know on upcoming editions. But follow me on social media. Over the next, well, six to seven months, between now and the rest of the year, there's going to be a lot 
a lot of Bible-related reading, uh, posting, and stuff like that as I try. Well, I'm not going to try. We're going to do it. Read the Bible through in six months. If that gets you excited and you'd like to join in with the crew, let me know. I'd love to do something special with you there. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get back into the episode and wrap up this exciting book of Exodus on this edition of Thrive Deeper. Okay, you're back on Thrive Deeper. This is it, our last run through the last few chapters of the book of Exodus. Matt, we're going to try to cram some stuff in here. What do you want to bring out in these last few chapters of the book of Exodus? Well, as we as we get into chapter 33, we come to my favourite oh. chapter. <laughs> One of my favourite chapters in the Bible, actually. Um, again, Moses' intercession is, is prevalent here. Moses' intercession for his people also Moses appeals to God. Moses' desire for God is also beautifully expressed here. Moses' friendship with God is expressed here. You know, it starts at the end of 32 when Moses intercedes again for the people. And he says to God in verse 32 of chapter 32, but now please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. Amazing. Wow. I mean, it's almost this Christ-like thing. Yeah. Put their sin on me. Yep. Uh, it's it's just it's just remarkable. This intercessory theme comes throughout this. So, for example, right at the start of chapter thirty-three, it says, "The Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. Go to the land I promised you on oath.' So, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to uh, send my angel, but it says, but I will not go with you.'" because you're a stiff-necked people mm. and I might destroy you along the way. Well, you know, Moses delivers this to the people and, you know, calls them to repentance. And um, then, interestingly, we have this little interlude here about the tent of meeting, yeah, which is really important, I think, because uh, this... It's interesting that the tent of meeting, because it's not it's not yet the tabernacle. No. See, the tabernacle is going to be in the midst of the people. Mm. Interesting how the tent of meeting, at this point, when Moses sends, sets up a tent of meeting, is where it is it? Outside. It's outside the camp. Yeah. Because they have pushed God to the outside mm. at this point. Mm. And so what's happening is that Moses is leaving the camp to meet with God, but gradually the people are coming with him, you see. Mm. Gradually people are responding to this. Yeah. Uh, this is there's something oh. you could. Uh, you, there's a sermon, you know, right. series of sermons right in that chapter thirty-three. I think there's about a thousand sermons yeah. we can preach out of thirty-three yeah. because you, you, you're just touching on the first part there, and the, with the tent of meeting and everything there. The last half of chapter thirty-three, the conversation. It is like we have entered. This this is one of my favourite yeah. parts. I know it's yours as well. Yeah. We are entering into a a new dimension of. Yeah. You know, if 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 the book of Genesis and Exodus has been this progressive yeah. revelation yeah. of how we are, how God wants us to deal with us, yeah. this we're getting to a place that is, uh, you know, yeah. a, a whole other dimension. It is, yeah. You know, it, for, yeah. Uh, for me, this picture of the tent of meeting is like a picture of what I think the church 
needs to be. You know, it's like where like our society has pushed God away. Mm. So we set up a tent of meeting. It's like in a figurative sense on the outside, outside the camp. Mm. And as we go, as the presence of the Lord uh, is manifest to us and in us, mm. then people will come out and be drawn yeah. to inquire of the Lord, as it says here as well. So mm. to me, it's a beautiful picture for me of what the church can be. I know, I know that's slightly allegorizing this, but I think I think it's an accurate kind of allegorization, not what's originally intended here, but uh, certainly I think this is an applicable Oh. Uh, applicable in that way. Uh, uh, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted, assisted him, Joshua, the son of Nun, stayed behind in the tent of meeting. In the tent, where the glory of the Lord was over and in that tent. And Joshua would just sit there in the glory of the Lord. That's his preparation. And everybody else is outside of the tent yeah. of meeting, bowing low and watching Moses. I mean, it's some sort of covering, obviously, that they can see inside yeah. of it. As the Lord comes down, he is enveloped yeah. in this presence. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And then we get a snapshot of what is going on inside that conversation yeah so so the the interlude about the tent of meeting because this is where in a set this is where Moses is having these kind of conversations mm-hmm. with God so remember that the issue now is this intercessory issue yeah. God has said I'm not going to go yeah. uh, and this is where I love it I love this Moses yeah. says if you don't go don't send us yeah <laughs> if you don't go with us we're not going anywhere it's this yeah. commitment and this wonderful determination that he has. I am not going anywhere without God. Mm. I refuse to live without God. I just love this expression. Mm. You know, verse 15, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with him unless you're, you know, it's, uh, and then it says, and then the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Yeah. He's getting really bold here. And it, it, in some sense, you know, like he's asking for something that yeah. is almost too much. But yeah. And yet God God answers that prayer as well. God does show but, him but, his but glory. But again, this is something that I think we can, we can uh, you know, we can sort of take out of context. This is, there's a back and forth here with Moses and God. Yeah. And we've seen right from the very beginning of the burning bush, God training Moses. Yeah on how to talk to him or what he wants yeah. from him. And this is the point where it's becoming so intimate. And even in this conversation- And so a, bold. So bold. Yeah. And there's a back and forth between yeah. them. Like Moses is saying, listen, I don't know what you want us yeah. to do. And he's like, I-, I will be there with you, but don't send us without you. I will go. I'm listening to you. you are my friend. And then he saw, and in response to God saying to him, you're my friend, Moses, he goes, okay, let me see, you know, let, I want to see you, Yeah, you know, which is, woo. And, and it's interesting the way that this is expressed here. You know, it says, the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I, I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And and then we we hear eventually that, that in uh, verse 22, that God places him in the cleft of a rock and passes him by. This, I think, reflects our limitations. We actually can't, our, our, Finite capacities cannot handle yeah. such an encounter with the infinite, yeah. infiniteness of God, as it were. And yet, God wants us to know Him, and God's name is 
is who God is for us. Yeah. Like we, we, we cannot know God exhaustively as he is in himself. No. Uh, and, and yet we have God within us mm. and we can share the very heart of God. So we know God from the most intimate proximity, even more intimately now by the Holy Spirit than what Moses did. Because mm. remember, mm. Moses met with God face to face, but we actually have God within our, within our heart. So we don't have less than this. No. Now, I, I, you know, I think this statement here, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I'll proclaim my name. So, so this is God's name is who he's going to be for his people. Mm. So look what it says. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. This is how God wants his name to be known. I am a God who shows mercy. I am a God who shows compassion. Yeah, but, because all of this in the, is in the context yeah. of Moses saying, "There's people who yes. have shake, shaken their fist yeah. at you. Please forgive them." Yeah, and God says, "Well, that actually is who I am." Yeah, but also on my own, on my yeah. own conditions. That's right. You know, yeah, you, yeah. Do, you know, like I, yeah. I will do it. Whoever I, you know, what what I yeah. choose to, and you, you know, I will hold my hand in front of you, and I'll turn my back to you as I pass by. Because if you see my face. You probably yeah. explode. You yeah, know, like that's you, right. yeah. you're not going to, you know, you can't handle that. And I love the fact that w- we know that it happens, but there's no, like, we don't get a play by play after that, you know, type yeah. of thing. We just know that <laughs> Moses has this incredible experience and then it moves on. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's, 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 a, it's an amazing yeah, passage. Well, what we do know is that uh, because there's a, um, what we do know is that when Moses met with God in this way, that his face literally shone. I, it's, I, and that that in itself is stunning. Symbol. This comes at the end of chapter thirty-four. Yeah, uh, it talks about Moses' shining face, and it was it freaked the people out so much that they got him to wear a veil. Yeah. Now remember, God had called his. This is also richly symbolic because God had called his people to be a light to the nations. Yeah. And so, you know, this is what's so poignant about Joshua remaining in the presence of the Lord, and mm. and you know Moses being in the presence of the Lord. That is actually what made him luminous. It's that. Mm. It's it's his relationship with God that made his lumin- that made him luminous. Not so. It's this is not about law keeping. I mean, law keeping is an expression of our love for God and our intimacy with God. It's an expression of that, but it doesn't mm. create that. You know what makes Moses shine is his time spent in the presence of God. Amen. And so. Anyway, I skipped a whole bit. You've got uh, chapter thirty-four, then, which has Moses going back up to the mountain, a new covenant, yeah, a new, yeah. you know, the new, new copy. God gives him new tablets, and then he makes this covenant and basically answers, "Okay, I will go with you," and reiterates his promise. Verse ten of chapter thirty-four, and the Lord said, "I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation of the world." Um, and and that's in in response to Moses. Again, Moses repeated prayer um, uh, where he says in verse 10, then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you. Uh, sorry, Moses in verse 8, Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I found favour in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. You know, God says, not only will I go with you, but yeah. I'm going to do wonders, amazing wonders before the nations. So God answers their prayers 
they have new tablets of stone. Mm. And then we have this list of uh, these list of little list of commandments. I want you to make sure walk in these commandments, mm. live by the pattern that I've set you. This is not, you know, I, I the way I would describe the commandments are like the rumble strips on the side of the road. You know, they're okay. not the road, they're the markers for the road. Okay, explain what the, build, build that out a little bit. What well, do you the, mean by r- that? R- rumble strips are, the, are those things that when you drive on, the, you, it goes, you know, when, you, when you're driving along, when the, you're road. Driving <laughs> along the road. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's, that's the role of the law. We, we're not to be law focused any more than we're to drive on the rumble strips. And in fact, I would suggest that very law focused people are about as pleasant as driving on rumble strips. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the purpose of the law is to create a boundary. Okay. You know, we live in accordance with the law, but it's not, it's not about all about rules. Yeah. It's about a relationship with God. And that's what is demonstrated here. So in that metaphor, the rumble strips are the law. The they, road itself? They show the boundaries. The road itself is this relationship with God, is living in God's presence, in God's mercy. It is demonstrated by Moses' relationship with God. That's the road. It's yeah. walking with God, to use the expression that said of Enoch and of Noah. That could have been true of Adam, yeah. uh, You know, perhaps was true of Adam for some time until he fell. It's true of Moses. He walks with God. And so God wants his people to walk with him. The law is there for them to know when they have veered off the road. So just one thing to, I think, uh, and, oh, and, and as, as a, uh, actually, and I'll go to one detail here. It says in verse 5 of 34, then the Lord came down in the cloud and he stood there with him, proclaiming his name, the Lord. So, um, this is, this is God again proclaiming his name to Moses and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming. Then we get a slightly longer version yeah. of this. Yeah. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Mm. And you think, why did he have to put the last bit? It was really good (laughs) until he put the last bit there. But here's the thing. Without the last bit, none of that first bit makes any sense. Exactly, Because grace is undeserved favour. Grace is you getting the favour that you don't deserve. And so what, what he's saying here is that when people do the wrong thing, God is going to give them over. This is the language that Paul used. He's going to give them over to their sin. And sin is not just an individualistic thing. Like if I fall, I take my whole family with me, possibly for generations to come. It's the consequence. It's not that God, God is not, because again, we've seen just in the law, haven't we? That God says, you shall not punish the children for the sins of the fathers. He's just said that. Mm. So Mm. that's not what this is saying. This is saying that um, God is... uh, is going to allow us to suffer the consequences, even yeah. the multi-generational consequences of our sin. Yeah. That is the backdrop to the grace and the compassion yes. and the faithfulness of God. God has said, but I am willing to step in. I'll, I'm going to let the consequences happen yeah. so that mm. you might call upon me and the promise here implicitly and elsewhere explicitly, when you call upon me, this is who I will be for you. Yeah. will. 
See that I'm faithful, compassionate, and gracious. And we've just seen an explicit example of that in the previous chapters. We with have every, just seen that, yeah. And, and we will see it again and again and again with these with these people here. All right, Matt, we we are fast running out of time. Uh, I know the rest of uh, you know the rest of the book of Exodus there in these in these final chapters is very concerned about the building of the tabernacle, yeah. the layout of the tabernacle, the building of the ark of the covenant, and yeah, you know, I know. All, all, and all those people might read through the oh yeah 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 yeah. And yeah. again, I mean, just look at a picture, but yeah. why? does this take up so much space? It takes up space because this is the centrepiece of the life uh, of God's people. Mm. And the tabernacle stood for two things. It stood, it stood for what God has done for us mm. in order to forgive us and show us grace it's in the sacrifices and also what he wants us to do for him, mm-hmm. and that is worship, bring worship. I think it's the, the tabernacle is a beautiful expression of the centre of the faith. It actually is not the the law so much, uh, you know, it's not about a moralistic system, mm. but a tabernacle that expresses grace, God's grace, and our worship in response. All right, in your metaphor, I'm going to put you on the spot here, in your metaphor of the rumble strips, yeah. the road of the, is, is the walk of God, the rumble strips are the law, you know, this pla- the tabernacle in yeah. our in our life, tabernacle is the place of worship. Yeah, you know, is this relationship of worship? Case not, in point, not 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 a you know, we are not limited in in this age of of grace in the church to be in a particular tent or a building to have yeah. this experience yeah. of worship. So, in your metaphor. Is the worship the car? Is it the engine? Is it the fuel? <laughs> Give us, you know, let's build this metaphor That's a good out. example of uh, taking a metaphor okay. too far. That's me. Uh, That's me. <laughs> in a way, in a way, in a way you could say that. I mean, the, the, the tabernacle actually is the way. Yeah. You know, I mean, Jesus fulfilled the symbolism of the tabernacle mm. and he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Mm. And so this is the way, it's, it's this point of connection with God. It's all about this connection with God and living in God's grace and living in worship. And what does that look like? Well, I think the final picture in the book of Exodus gives us, gives us a beautiful picture of what this looks like, as it says here in chapter 40, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Mm. This is in the midst of the people after they built the tabernacle. So God is dwelling in the midst of his people. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And then it goes on to say that when the cloud lifted and moved on, they moved on. When the cloud settled and stayed, they stayed. So they are walking with God. This is the Israelites walking with God Mm. as Noah walked with God as mm. Enoch walked with God. This is a beautiful expression of what life is all about. Life is about walking with God. Feeling a little bit sad, feeling a little bit melancholy here as we say goodbye to Moses to Aaron, Joshua, and all the Israelites there. We leave them in the desert as we say goodbye to the book of Exodus and this edition of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. Yeah, goodbye, baby blue, and hello, magenta hot pink. We're about to head into the book of Revelation. In two weeks' time, we'll be joining you as we begin this journey through the end 
of the book. We go from the beginnings to the end, and I'm so excited as we enter into the book of Revelation. Hopefully, you've got your copy of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. If you want a digital one or you want to order multiple copies, remember, you can do all of that over at our website at thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, send us your questions. And while you're checking out that, we will see you in two weeks on another edition of Thrive Deeper. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading in the Bible as you go through it with Thrive. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all of our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visit ratethispodcast.com slash thrivedeeper. If you appreciate what we do and want to help us reach more people, go to ratethispodcast.com slash thrivedeeper. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper into God's Word and thrive. This was another DJP.FM production.